0: Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories we dig into the educational how-to's and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, as well as insights in how to navigate the capital markets. What you'll hear in these interviews may very well change the course of your career, your company, and your life. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through our website at creativereturn.ca. And finally, please note that the information contained in this interview is not financial advice, but for entertainment purposes. I'm not a financial advisor and make no warranties or representations concerning the accuracy or suitability of the information contained in this interview. I recommend that any and all investment decisions be made by the advice of an accredited investment advisor. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance. In today's episode, we're speaking with Riggs Eckleberry. Riggs is the CEO and chairman of Origin Clear, a hub for innovative ventures in the water industry. Now, I'm really excited for this conversation as Riggs brings a depth of experience in both public and private sectors. And today, he's focusing on a number of ventures and initiatives in the water industry. Now, this is something that I think, as consumers, we don't think enough about. And it's also, I think, fertile grounds for big opportunity, but there's a lot more there. So we're going to unpack that. Anyway, the best place for us to start is with an introduction from yourself, Riggs. So. I'll hand it over to you.
1: Corey, it's a pleasure being here. Well, you know, I have, as we were discussing before the, uh, the, the cast, we were talking about my background is very eclectic. And the 90s and early 2000s were really, for me, about the amazing blow up of high tech. And really, everything changed. Because in the 80s, I had been in computing, where computers are glorified calculators. And it's still their function. They still do accounting and so forth. But in the 90s, they turned into communication platforms. And that was super exciting. And it drove all the amazing things that happened with e-commerce and so forth. And starting in 95, I got onto the corporate ladder because before that, I'd either been in a nonprofit or sailing around the seven seas as a merchant mariner or entrepreneur. And starting in 95, I became sort of starting as a marketing guy, product manager, strategic marketing, and then moving into VP marketing eventually by 2005 I was a COO and a president software company that got on the Nasdaq and then I had the fateful event of being offered a CEO position which is a fate that it, I don't wish on anybody <laughs> it's like holding a high voltage line all the time after a while you relax cuz you know you're just holding the high voltage line so it's really great for um, for learning how to stay calm that's for sure because anything and everything will be thrown at you. So that's been, uh, since 2007, I have had a small public company called Origin Clear today. And we're in the business, as you said, of launching innovative water ventures. Now, why the heck do we need innovative water ventures? It's because frankly, water is broken. We we knew it when we got into the water industry. We couldn't figure out how to move the needle. And then eventually we found the way. And a company we created called Water On Demand is now, Set to get onto the Nasdaq through a merger, and we're super excited about that. And then we're preparing our next incubations. So Origin Clear is turning into an interesting fund company with a lot of supporters, investors, and we, we know how to get things done. Because I don't know if you've heard about it, but the IPO route is pretty broken these days. VC funding is dropping. That standard method is has become stale. There's not many ways to get companies. To an exit, there's basically three ways. The the first way is to be bought out by somebody. The second way is to do crowdfunding, Regulation A crowdfunding. So where you go after a large number of small investors and Regulation A has this peculiarity of creating public shares sort of in the process. By definition, you become a public company. And third is what we're doing now with this company we created, which is to get acquired by a blank check company that's already on the NASDAQ. Those are the three ways we've gotten pretty good at all three.
0: I want to unpack all those, especially us being north of the border. We don't have similar but not the same kind of crowdfunding as is in the U.S. But before we go there, take me back into some of the experiences you've had, whether it be, I think you, I mean, you were working in the dot-bomb era, you're sailing. And I mean, we did in our pre-call touch on that as a merchant marine in the South Pacific. All these eclectic experiences I think for make for really interesting life stories that can help with leadership. Is there anything that comes to mind from all of that that you've done that that really influences yourself today?
1: Okay, so I've done a lot of thinking about
0: that because one of
1: the things I like to do is what I call mistake-based marketing. In other words, try things out but be willing, you know, constantly adjust adjust adjust. And that's a really good philosophy. But you also have to have a goal, right? You can't just be broken field running and maybe, you know, turning and going the wrong way. I mean, so you need to actually have a direction so that you're zigzagging in the right direction. There's no such thing as a straight line in business. If you're on a straight line, you're probably decaying. So you need to be constantly reinventing because that's the way of the market. But what became real to me is you've got to have a direction you're going. And CEO... Above all is the person who owns that, who owns that. Okay, this is this is our big thing. This is what we're trying to do. And a lucky CEO is someone who has people who will actually execute for him, a, a, an executive layer, which I didn't have for a long time. I, I had a lot of people who were dependent on me, but who were kind of like, okay, Riggs, we're good. We're showing up and you got it all. And that has changed. I have a pretty great team. And as a result, I have more, my attention is freed up to actually create the future. So what I think is that it's super important for anybody who wants to get great things done is as soon as possible to divest a lot of the routine execution stuff so that they can focus on, whoa, what about if we
0: do this? Okay, good. Let's launch this and kind of drive the day, shall we say. That's an interesting point you make is, and I'm wondering how you came to that because I think... A lot of entrepreneurs, myself included, have run into issues of either taking on too much and not divesting of it, not delegating it. Or the other side is not communicating properly such that that others who are fully capable can take it on and run with it. And, And even at times I've seen entrepreneurs face a team of executives or a team of support who almost get to a point of learned helplessness. Because they aren't they aren't communicating properly with, with the leader, with the CEO. And so have you experienced that and, and how, you know, as, as you've gotten later in your career from the number of things you've done, how have you overcome that?
1: I actually had an epiphany fairly recently, last twenty-four months, well, twelve months actually, which is that I'd had a pattern in my business career of trying to be a hero, trying to like push through, you know, and Superman doesn't scale. You cannot be Superman. Right? You have got to be League of Avengers, and I had that realization. Like, wait a minute, I'm trying to just just get out th- get out front and lead. And then where is everybody? Whoa, that is first of all, it gets old. Secondly, you get you get into these terrible situations that then you have to do crazy things to to recover. And that's you know, I've been in that situation many times. For example, I recall the mother of my son, wonderful son George, passed away in 2012, and I remarried a wonderful. She's a teacher and she's amazing in so many ways. And in January, 2013, I took her out sailing off the coast of California, which can blow up pretty badly. And sure enough, it got pretty hectic and people I thought were going to help me turned out to be either scared or didn't know what to do. And I found myself by myself and telling people, take that rope with the little blue spiral, put it on that round thing that's called a winch. And turn it clock, clockwise, please, clockwise. And meanwhile, we're heading straight for the rocks. And in the middle of it, I, I I just lost my cool. I said, "Why? Why is it always me?" Well, I realized later that I designed it that way. You know, I didn't have to. I could have gotten people to help, right? So this sort of "I can pull this off" kind of mentality. And sure enough, I've I've avoided major catastrophes throughout my life. But nonetheless, <laughs> who needs those brushes with? near death, either business or in real life. And so I think it's super important to work on gathering people. And if you're not gathering people, why are you not? Are you the kind of person who tends to undercut your subordinates? Are you the kind of person that denies initiative? I've had, occasionally had bosses who had a tremendous ability to accept my doing things well or badly, and they would deal with, okay, fine, that was not great, rigs, however... Good initiative. Now let's do it this way as opposed to God damn it. You know, so you're a training officer every second as a CEO or as a manager of any kind. And it's very important what message you're sending. The other thing is people have got to be feel that they can talk to you. The third thing that's very, very important is never let people ask you, do you want it red or green? No, always make people give you proposals. Riggs, it should, the color should be red. And here's why now. They may be wrong. They may have the complete wrong idea, but it gives them practice. And it you're not Solomon. I hate being cut the baby in half. No, you tell me what you want to do, and I'll either work with it, like okay, it's not quite there, but good idea. Now we want to do it this way. Fine. That's a training action. Or I approve it. Great. Go. Right. And that's fast flow. It's like boom, 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 boom. So people take initiative. You encourage that. You make them always, always, always propose. And you are not the god of the company. That's the wrong way to look at it. So don't let people go, what should we do now, boss? Like, no, I don't think
0: so. Mm. I appreciate that perspective of like, you know, you come with solutions. You come and propose the the path forward. And then if it needs to be adjusted, it can, but don't be asking. So I appreciate that. But there's something that you said there, and I think it's a great leadership quote, is that Superman does not scale. Yeah, that's hugely insightful. So... <laughs> Taking the years of experience that you've had and the the variety of things you've done, let's talk about big water. Now, we've got big tech, we've got big tobacco. Just in the name in itself, big water, I think, at least for me, I see a negative connotation. And when you and I first started talking about the industry and the opportunity, I was like, "Eh, I don't know about this. But when I started to unpack it and understand it more, I see that there's something really needed there. Talk to me about why you've gotten into the world of water. And the industries and how you guys are starting to innovate and build these companies.
1: Well, initially, because we pivoted into water, we were pre- we were in a different focus altogether before that, which was technology for turning algae into biofuel. Which we kind of had to put that aside because the price it required a very high price of crude, which in around two thousand seven was let's not forget it was around one hundred and twenty dollars a barrel, right? it's never been there since even now with all the crazy things happening with the red sea and everything it's still around 70 bucks right so the price is not high enough for the development of biofuels so what do we have instead a science experiment and you can't run a public company on a science experiment so we took our algae extraction technology and started marketing it as a sewage extraction technology in water great that's fine only problem is we learned after a while that the water industry is technology phobic. They don't really want new stuff. Why? Because generally it's kind of like when I was in in computing in the 80s, you know, you could never go wrong by buying IBM. And I but IBM was crappy, but you would never lose your job, right? So you decided to go with Novell, I'm really dating myself there. <laughs> Novell NetWare and you better work because if it didn't work, you know, you were toast. So the same thing happens in water and that is that the good old tried solutions are the ones the key people in their jobs. And so we had a very hard time getting acceptance of the technology. And we pivoted to more of a business model. And what was the business model? It's one that I really discovered in 2016 when a really key research paper came out from Lux Research that said, decentralized water is the new thing. I went, decentralized water? What's that all about? Well, it turns out this paper made the point that infrastructure investment is terribly underfinanced we're running in the u.s as much as a hundred billion dollars a year negative every year nobody's going to catch up a hundred billion dollar a year backlog not going to happen and even if you did have the money where i'm living in most places it's overbuilt we're going to put a sewage plant and you can't it's not the 50s anymore you can't create landfill out over the ocean because there's ecosystems so what are you going to do well keep what you've got and just reduce the load right if you've got a horse that's having a hard time getting up a mountain, get off the horse and walk next to it, right? So take the load off and the system can handle it. 90% of the demand for water and for water, source water, but also water treatment is industry and agriculture. So why not get those off the grid and the grid can then service the remaining 10%? And that's been our mission ever since. In 2016, I was a prophet in the wilderness. People were like decentralized water. Today, it's accepted. PepsiCo just committed to eighty percent recycling of their processed water, because when you decentralize, then by implication you're recycling. But if you send your dirty water to the city, goodbye. You didn't recycle that water. You didn't get another turn out of it, and the city won't do the recycling either because we're, we're America. We don't recycle structurally. It's not. It's not possible, and so we are creating the logical thing, which is businesses treating their own freaking water. Why would they ever send their dirty water away? It's logical you do it on site and then you get to reuse it. You have control over your costs. You have control over the water prices because you're recycling. And number three, you're not the puppet of whatever regulatory insanity is going on at the city, county, or state, or federal level. As long as you meet permit requirements, people generally leave you alone. So this is very attractive to businesses and more and more are doing it. i like to say that we have an inverted pyramid going on right now, which is the, the, the bottom of that triangle is the people who absolutely must do their own water treatment. They have no choice. Those are the people we're servicing now. These are people who are being fined for not having water treatment, such as campgrounds and trailer parks. It includes housing developments that in, in rural areas are racing ahead of sewage ca- capability because we have all this COVID out-migration, a whole other topic. But we have out-migration happening, which you know there's 150,000 water systems in America. Some of them only service 3,000 people. Well, now all of a sudden they they get 50,000 people. Like, oh my God, right? And so they start refusing the business. Like, no, it can't take your water. So we're seeing that phenomenon happen in Northern Texas between Dallas and the Oklahoma border where there's a land boom going on and we're offering these treatment pods to developers. The sewage problem just went away. No sewage problem. They don't have to dig a $10 million pipe 10 miles down the road they just put in 20 foot container, plug it in, bobs your uncle. And it's very elegant and it's it's catching up. But so that that is the smallest audience, but we're doing very well with it. We modular Water Systems our pod division went increased its business, its revenue 7x between 2019 and 2023. So big boom happening. But it's a fraction small fraction of the of the of the potential demand. The next layer up is people who would like to have their own water treatment for good reasons, but then they're not being sued or anything like that. And for them, now it becomes important. How do I pay for this thing? It's no longer, well, just can you solve it any old way? Fine, I'll pay for it. Million dollars, done deal. I'll do whatever I got to do. Now these people are not forced to it. They're like, well, I don't want to spend a million dollars. Oh, I can just have it on the meter like I'm accustomed to. So when I move from the city to my own system... I'm still on the meter, but the meter is now private. It's not the municipality. It's us. We're the water utility. And that is the new, new thing. Now, I want to emphasize one thing that's very important. We are not talking about privatizing the fresh water. Why? Because there's terrible track record for that where cities in America have given up their water management to private entities. They've ended up with water supply issues, cost issues, et cetera, UK has had a very bad experience with privatizing water systems. In general, let the government supply the fresh water. Yeah. It's just one of those things, just like they build the roads. You're not going to privatize roads.
0: You know, I really believe in free enterprise. But, you know, I see areas where it's like, even from a, an election lever, you would never let your water, unless it's Flint or wherever else that has some bad things going, but you never let your water fall off the plate of things that you're going to lose an election over. So it's, you know, there's an incentive there for the government to make sure to the best of their ability it is on. But when it comes to the treatment, to the after it's been used, the privatization of that, I'm like, ah, okay, this is interesting. This is fascinating. And I think there's something like 80% of water now is going untreated. So basically it just returns back into... That's a world stat, right? That's a world stat. Okay. It's not 80%
1: in Canada or the US. Fortunately, it's more like 30%. But the problem in the world is that places like Bangladesh treat nothing. So it's 80% as a world stat. Well, 80% of all your sewage gets untreated. Well, that goes into the groundwater, the rivers, the lakes, and the ocean. And the ocean is increasingly becoming a sewer. I was a captain and a, a first mate on merchant ships in the Pacific in the 70s. If I went back there today, it'd be far filthier ocean. It's just how it is. The ocean is just not big enough. It's big, but it has its limitations. So coming back to what we're doing here is at first we started, we've had three phases. The first phase in 2015 is we acquired the ability to engineer water systems for these private customers on a custom basis and tends to be custom tends to be larger. And that's this company called progressive water there in Dallas. And that's what they do. Big power plants, that kind of stuff. Second, Phase was creating this modular water systems company, which is the PODs. And that's highly scalable, standardized. And you can have any color as long as it's black kind of philosophy. And that has been booming because it's got that scalability. And then the third thing was something we started uh, in 2020, which is how do we eliminate the capital requirement? And we eventually created something that's a lot like oil well funds that call master limited partnerships, MLPs. And they're a basket of energy properties, and people invest in the fund, not directly in the energy properties, and they get residuals. And so we've mimicked that with some bells and whistles. For example, in addition to the residuals, you get equity. Equity in the parent company, Origin Clear, equity in the this new water as a service company, which we call water on demand. And so we created this new entity and we've been raising money for it. And we will have our pilot sometime in 2024. But we took those three elements, packaged them up, and we've engineered an acquisition of that entity by a blank check company that's on the NASDAQ. These are companies that are, exist for the sole purpose of finding something to buy. They're all co- special purpose acquisition companies, SPACs. There's about 500 of those out there looking for companies to buy. And through a complex transaction, we are now in a definitive agreement to take this creation of ours. It got valued at a nice price, thirty-two million dollars. So that's good, good valuation for something relatively new, and it's being shipped off, leaving Origin Clear with nothing except our proven ability to raise investments. And so, really, our special sauce is: let's get you funded. Let's make sure that you're a good company, got good technology, being managed well, and you know, good corporate governance, all that good stuff. We can help you with that. Now, let's raise you some money to get you in the market. Let me tell you, the demand Corey for that is vast. There's so many people out there. Like, would you please raise money for me? Oh God, yeah. So you kind of have to be, you have to be picky, right? In fact, where we're going with this is, I don't think we're ever going to be a fundraising service bureau. I don't want to be in that business. What we'll do is we'll take an equity stake, and just as we created the, these companies, that Origin Clear today is majority owner of Water on Demand, and it will be slightly less than majority owner once we're on the Nasdaq with that. But still it's gonna be, shall we say forty percent of a NASDAQ company. Yeah. That's very good for Origin Clear. Yes. It reminds me of you know, Yahoo was gonna fall apart, but they happened to have a big piece of Alibaba. Of course. And they survived, right? I think they had like thirty percent. It was a big piece of Alibaba. So having a big piece of what you create is important. So that's what we're doing. Not everybody's gonna be up for that. Some people don't wanna give up equity or whatever, that's fine. But assuming that they are smart, which means I get a smaller piece of a bigger pie, then we'll be happy to play with them. Also, we may move out beyond the water industry because there are some really good companies out there that are not just necessarily in water. We work with a group that promotes companies, a program called New to the Street. And they tell me like, all our New to the Street clients are desperate for funding. Okay, we're happy to help. So, this is, I'm kind of sharing this new thinking of ours, which is the Origin Clear, is going to really be our unique selling proposition is really the ability to get things funded through a combination of crowdfunding and accredited investor. But it's retail. Yes, of course. No VC, no PE type transactions, Main Street investors, which means you're not dealing with family offices and ultra high net worth individuals who who get you into analysis paralysis. You put together a great concept. You execute on it and people get excited. And there are people like you and me who generally don't have access to great deals. Yes. And the biggest problem today is deal access is pretty horrible for everyday, relatively well-off people, right? People who are generally accredited, right? So they're making $200,000 a year at least. They've got a million dollars net worth aside from their primary home. One of those two requirements. Similar in the Canada, but that's the general thing. Well, weirdly enough, we have very few preferential investing opportunities and that's what we want to create. So we're doing that in water and that's that water on demand thing. And we're getting people into that every single day, building the, the capital to do the water as a service thing. It's also our best credential, right? Cause if you say I can raise money for you, well then show me where you raised money. Well, I can show you here it is.
0: Let's actually unpack that because I know you've had a lot of experience in in marketing and marketing tech. And I bring that up because raising capital is a marketing job. It's both a sales and a marketing job, but you have to be able to reach out to attract and really bring interested and capable investors down a funnel of sorts. So when I say that, what comes to mind for you and how have you approached raising capital that perhaps is more novel than not?
1: Well, these days... About 60 or 70% of it is going to be done through media advertising, generally Facebook. Facebook is by far the best platform to raise money because they have such wonderful demographics. I mean, they really know. If you're a Facebook user, they know so much about you. And as a result, from a small sample, you can get a very high return. We've tried other platforms. They're not there. So that's number one. Number two is partnerships. There's networks out there that can bring you people which you have to kiss a lot of frogs, but there are a few out there. We have some productive relationships that bring us, they're trusted recommenders and they bring us investors. Those are the combination. Now, that's the intake. The second part is a really persuasive offer that people really like. And the third part is you got to make sure that you serve those investors well, because if you do, they're going to invest again and again. Generally, people, when they do the first investment is something like this, it's going to be money they can waste. You know what? I can waste 30K. Fine. Here, take it. But they have a couple million dollars sitting there that they could invest if they had more confidence, right? Getting the re-up is super important because those people already know you. In a charitable space, they say donators donate, meaning if you're already donating, you're the most likely person to donate more. Same thing for investors. Investors invest. So- it's very hard to take someone from zero to anything, 10, 20,000. But from 10 to 20,000 to 100 or 200 is vastly easier. If you've done the right thing, you've taken care of them, they've seen execution, they've seen progress. They're like, oh, this is great. We, for example, run a weekly investor briefing every Thursday night. I saw that. And yesterday was our 245th. And people love it. It's everything going on with the company and we do a bunch of commentary on the economy, whatever, but it's exciting. It's, it's entertaining. It reassures people that stuff's happening. It tells them stuff like, Hey, by the way, we just had a major partnership. Here's an interview with the new partner, blah, blah, blah. So it creates this relationship and we will do whatever we have to do to make sure that those investors prosper. So that's super, super important.
0: There's a few things there that I I really I'm glad you're saying this. And it's interesting that you're drawing in the parallels of, of raising money for charity and those who give kind of thing. And and investors invest and will re-up. And it brings to mind that you know you need to put a system and a process in place. And I'd love for us to unpack some of the things you do in addition to to your weekly briefings. But like I come back to it. I participated in a number of, number of private placements in my career and, you know, admittedly should probably not gamble so much. But one thing that has always blown my mind is the amount of investor's remorse I get because it's great. Come on, let's get the money in. It's all, you put the check in and then it's radio silence. And then when they come looking for another check, I'm like, you know what I mean? You Even if it was all the right reasons... You can see the companies going up, but they have spoken to you nothing until they're coming back to the well. I'm like, what a miss. What are you doing? It's. I know it takes time. It takes money and resources to to continually communicate, but man, is it powerful. And I come back to the point that the cost of acquiring a new customer versus acquiring or getting an existing customer to buy is hugely different. Now, why does that not apply to investors? And the fact is that it does. So it's really interesting to hear you saying this. Along with the investor briefings, what other kind of things have you put into action that are helping you engage investors and ultimately turn them into shareholders? Well,
1: you know, you have to, it's very important to have really great milestones, wins, right? If you're in this death march of getting, you know, getting to, it it takes a long time to get to success. You better have, Things that raise morale along the way, right? Like we just had a big win with blah, blah. We just tripled our revenues, whatever it is, right? And people need to hear that. They need to be given the updates. They, you know, the, the newsletters and also accessibility. People can get to me, they can get to our main, our corporate development team, which are fantastic people, easily accessible, they're very responsive. And so lots of good news. Okay, we're making progress, it's happening. Very, very important. And then that responsiveness factor, lots of communication. These are all, it's how you'd want to be treated yourself, right? And so when we come back to them, they don't go, yeah, no, you haven't been talking to me for eight months. They want to know, well, first of all, if they want to know anything, they just either show up at a briefing or they watch one of the replays, brings them up to speed right away. So it's important, I think, to have in your communications plan, you got to have at least a weekly huddle, you know, a, a briefing or podcast call, what you will, in Zoom that investors and other people can participate in. And even if they don't, at least they know it's happening. And that's they might say, oh, I don't, can't be bothered. But that's their decision. The information is there, and if they choose not to do it, they won't blame they won't blame you. So I think it comes down to personalization of the venture. People have to feel that. They're in a relationship with you that's personal and that you do have the access. They have access. I'll happily talk to anyone. Now, what tends to happen is smarter people than me talk to the person long before they end up talking to me. But I'm always the backstop. They can always talk to me. I do have the magic wand. CEOs have a magic wand. And so there's always something we can do. And I've had people pipe up in, in Facebook, oh, how come? i like, well, wait a minute. Mary or whoever you are, let's get you in touch with so-and-so. This is, We have a program for that. Let's take care of you. Boom, right? So that, the, the TLC is super important. And one thing I've learned over the years is the customer service attitude you get from the front people came from the top people. It's always from the top down, right? So the, the attitude that top management has. So let's say, for example, Starbucks is a great example. Starbucks has a great service culture. They'll take care of you. They're friendly. They are they may not be really happy, but they they play happy with you. And it reflects the Starbucks mandate, Southwest Airlines, there's certain companies that are just legendary for that. And they reflect the top management's attitudes big time. So whenever you see poor service going on, then you know, or you're being ignored or you're being dismissed. That's coming from top management.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it definitely does. Not so much. It rolls downhill, if you will, or if it, if it gets passed down, and culture plays a, a huge, huge role across the company. You know? I'm wondering how. I think it's super impressive that you're, you know, 245 some odd briefings in for investors. I mean, that's that's commitment, and that's that's a lot of content. How are you able to consistently come up with topics to discuss? And and do you have any tips for that? Because oftentimes there's, there's companies which it might be a long sales cycle. It might be a long development cycle and it takes, you know, a month can go and and nothing super material has happened. How do you continually come up with topics that are interesting enough to put yourself on camera and speak to? Well, one thing
1: is, is that I'll, throughout the week, I will have my, my posts on X and then I'll take those and I'll select a few. And those are more economic comments because water today with the way we've got it structured is now competing with other commodity type asset investments like gold, bitcoin, real estate, etc. So so how's real estate going? What's what's up with recession not recession? It's ridiculous. Can you believe I've got a comment here from somebody that says stocks are at all-time high, retail sales was above expectations, initial claims was very good, home builder confidence surged, consumer confidence is at our highest level since July 2021. Bro, these ain't signs of a recession. That is so out of touch with what's really going on out there. Just a real estate statement alone, we know that real estate is basically screwed in the U.S., but what's keeping it rising is the C-class, the low cost, the, the fixer-uppers, and the trailer parks. The low part of the marketplace is buoying it up. That's real estate. On hiring, employment, that's driven by government and healthcare, which are parasitical elements of the economy, right? Manufacturing is getting is in negative employment gains. So you you start unpacking this bullshit propaganda. So I do, (laughs) as you can tell, I I make comments my Twitter at Riggs Eck. I do these comments throughout the week. Then I take those, package them up, and I play and I commentary and so forth and so on. And then I get into company news, things that happened this year, this week. An interview with in your company. There's always people you can interview on Zoom and put you put the interview up right. So that people hear from more than just you, your corporate development people, your marketers, your engineers. There's a ton of people who your accountants. You can always have that, and then you um, you'll have company news which you'll comment about and so forth. We do a lot of recycling when we end up. For example, we did a whole series at the Nasdaq Market Site with this New to the Street program, and that, that generated a huge amount of content of us being at the Nasdaq. Right. Yep. And We did another one where being at the NYSE—that's great content, right? We recycled it, so forth. So there's always stuff you can generate in terms of content. And then at the end of it all, we do a free form, and myself and a couple of the top execs, we just we just start free style commenting, and it works. People enjoy it. It's kind of snarky, so we develop a style. Now it took a while for it to get there. And one thing to have—you always want to have filler. So, for example, we'll take. This podcast, and we'll take snippets from it, throw it up, three minute snippets, and then I'll comment on them in the show. And so, because it's boring to take just a twenty minute chunk of this, yes, but take snippets and then comment on them, that keeps the momentum going. People like it, and it's also easy then to extract it for shorts because you're always looking at that. So, content is not the big problem. We we're, we're, we're content rich. One of the things I also do. You were booked, I think, through Command Your Brand, which is a great outfit to, to uh, book podcasts. So I have a podcast booking contract. Well, this generates content like crazy, right? So now you've got content you can work with because every single podcast interviewer asks different questions, draws things out differently. And so you've, for example, you zeroed in on the Merchant Marine stuff, which most people never get around to that. So this creates content that then enlightens our audience. So there's, there's no lack of stuff. The one thing that I don't want to do that I is like, I could do a daily touch, but I've stayed away from that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it, it can definitely be a machine. And so I just, I really, I appreciate your, your thoughts on this and how you've approached it and sharing that because it can be a hamster wheel to keep going and keep that content going. But to your point, once you kind of see everywhere you look there's content opportunities yes yeah and so you putting that together is i mean that's it's it's fantastic nerd out with me just a bit if you took me through the process of doing it who do you have working with you and how do you how do you make sure that this machine runs and runs well and and i think it's an important thing because oftentimes especially marketers to marketers. I swear to God, marketers market to marketers about how they can like do X, Y, and Z. But then when it comes to the person who's actually running a business, what is that process? And how can they actually put the the rubber to the road? Well, forever
1: I've had a videographer in house who happens to be my brother. That means I can take full advantage of him and he can't charge a lot. <laughs> but it means that he's constantly creating content for me. This week, for example, I was, there's this, Kevin Harrington runs something called Boom America. It's like a shark tank kind of thing. And he invites experts to drill down on these startups and then afterwards do a round table where they discuss it. Well, that was fun. Took all day. We extracted so much content from that. Now I, I've got weeks and weeks of, of snippets that, I, that I've got, right? So that's number one is, is a good AV team. So that you're constantly extracting stuff when there's a new installation of some interesting mobile home park, whatever, we'll send somebody up there, right? We'll send Steven up and he'll document it. So I think investing in an AV capability so that you're constantly coming up with material, then you can repurpose it all kinds of ways. You've got YouTube, you got shorts, you've got reels, you've got use in the briefing, a million different ways. The stuff is useful. And then finally, that's the production side. Then having for years I, I had a good content manager and recently brought in a world-class VP marketing but even with just the content manager Kevin he was always taking stuff pushing it out posting it all that so you just you just got to invest in the human resources to just create that engine and you're right a lot of a lot of companies go I don't need this let me just get the job done but you know this is the the tree that falls in the forest and nobody hears it you've got to let people know what you're doing. And we have, and engineers are particularly problematic. The ideal, you take, ask an engineer to take a picture of an installation. And what comes back is pictures of pumps with nobody around them. (laughs) Yeah. It's a pump. Well, the thing could have been back at the freaking manufacturers. Yeah, yeah. So people, can you put your client in the picture? Huh, what, are you crazy? That's not engineering. I'm like, yeah, but it's marketing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) <laughs> it's the funniest thing but they're learning some of them are more friendly to that than others so you capitalize on the people in your group that are natural showmen and some people just love it and you you can't have just you just me is boring after a while bringing in other people is a social proof that you're you got your act together it also shows that you know rigs is not a complete fraud because guess what other people are saying the same thing that's good and it also just gives a diversity of content but now we've really professionalized since we brought on board AJ, our VP marketing from, he came to us from a, we were privileged to bring him in from a corporate environment. And he brings a tremendous amount of professionalism to what we're doing. So, you know, it's just a matter of team building to a great degree. I would say it's a, you know, it's a college of equals. Lincoln talked about that. He, his, he wanted his cabinet to be equals, perfectly willing to shout back at him, right? And that's what you want. You know, we had a contentious meeting just before this podcast. We we're like, blah, blah, blah. "Okay, great, resolved it, moved on." And so that I think is is key. So people in here instinctively back and invest in companies that they perceive to have a good team, because the team will work its way through. Let's say you have a t- you have an invention, and somehow the patent gets denied, and you or there's somebody stealing your stuff, whatever. What does the team do about it? Because bad things will happen. What does the team do about it? And that's what people want to know, because I'm okay with with ups and downs as long as somebody's making sure that the downs become up again, right?
0: Yeah. Very interesting. Well, we're almost nearing the end of the hour here, and I feel like we could continue talking, but I I do have a couple more questions. One is, with a really interesting kind of background and, and career, what kind of books do you read uh, podcasts? Do you listen to and other media that inspires you.
1: Well, I have a very eclectic. What I read is everything and anything: science fiction, historical fiction, you name it. What I, in terms of podcasts, again, I these days what's what's good is that you don't have to watch the entire three hours of Joe Rogan. You can, if you've got the right channels on Telegram, they pop up as excerpts. So yeah, yeah, that's good because. I found myself like spending way too much time looking at fascinating, fascinating interviews. But personally there's some for example, there's a Geopolitics and Empire podcast, which is Hervoya Morik, just an incredible podcaster. And I've been on his TNT radio show and his podcast, and I've been reinvited to his TNT show. He's slightly controversial, but not so much so that everybody, you know, you don't want something that's He's a well-composed, smart guy who is uh, comments on things. But let's talk about books for a second. I believe that there's two books that are very, very important for business people of all kinds. The first one is Jeffrey Moore's Inside the Tornado, which talks about the high-tech life cycle. The high-tech product life cycle goes initial adoption, then tornado adoption, and then it goes in the back end to the the mainstream, but in high-tech right, as it hits the mainstream, the next wave starts already because you have constant obsolescence and you have to have a culture that accepts that constant upward roller coaster, right? And then the other side of the same coin is Clayton Christensen's uh, Innovator's Dilemma. The Innovator's Dilemma is a landmark book that shows how companies that have something good tend to resist innovation because they're wedded to uh, a particular sales model And the sales model broke in the real world because of technology obsolescence, but they're still stuck on it. And generally, Clayton uses, he used, he's the late creation, wonderful guy. He passed away about a decade ago. But some people listened to him. Andy Grove at Intel listened to him and turned around Intel. That was when he came up with the Celeron chip. He did a consumer, he was turning away from the consumer and he pivoted right back and started servicing the consumer. That was just one of many people who listened to Clayton. So, but in his book, he takes the disc drive industry, which went from these twenty-eight inch platters, fourteen, seven, three and a half, two and a quarter, and now nothing. Well, at each one of these generations, the existing player was nuked because they, you know, the, the twenty-eight inch guy refused to go to the fourteen inch. The engineers in the twenty-eight inch company started the fourteen-inch company. Mm, right. The seeds of your own demise are in your company. And that's the thing to remember. Hmm.
0: Okay. And we'll usually I go right for, for a final thoughts, but I'm going to ask this question. Riggs is a very interesting name that I have never heard. Is it short for something?
1: No, my full name is Tenor Riggs Eckleberry Jr., T E N E R, Riggs Eckleberry. They're all family names. And I was junior. So therefore, my dad was called Tenor and I was called Riggs. It's a family name in the family, unfortunately or fortunately. I'm the only Riggs Eckleberry in Google, so I'd better behave. <laughs> but it's also a good branding, right?
0: Yeah, it certainly is.
1: And it was tough in school. I got all kinds of weird catch calls, cat calls rather. But now it works. People think it's a great name.
0: Yeah, really is. Okay, very cool. Well, as we wrap up then, any final thoughts for the audience? We've really kind of meandered through a number of different topics and it's been really interesting. So any final thoughts for the audience? I was thinking just the other day that, that there's a lot of,
1: we have rampant inflation. True inflation is really out of whack and everybody's in denial about it, but we know inflation is soaring and people just can't just keep going with their job the way it is. The good news is if you're willing to reinvent, if you're willing to step out, there are amazing opportunities to succeed commercially. Opportunities are all over the place. You're going to have to invest in some, like, figure it out. First of all, what is it? What is the opportunity? Secondly, who are you going to do it with? Because remember, you're not going to do it alone. And thirdly, how are you going to get it off the ground? But I believe it's one of those tale of twin cities, right? Tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Today, we are in an enormously turbulent time, which is hurting people who are just trying to get along. They are being hurt. But if you're willing to step out, there's huge opportunity to do really well.
0: Yeah, that really is it. In the chaos, chaos creates opportunity and, and the volatility creates opportunity. And I hope that these times spur people to to get off, quit we're resting on their laurels and thinking that it's it's all meant to be so easy because it's not.
1: I mean, first of all, if it's easy, why, why bother doing it? What the heck, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Across the board. Well, Riggs, really, really fascinating. I'm glad you and I met. I've enjoyed our conversation and thank you so much for your time. Corey, such a pleasure.
1: Best of luck this winter in BC skiing. I I would love to go up to the Okanagan Lake and ski with you
0: sometime. (laughs) Well, you're most welcome. Right on, Riggs. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.